Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go now. The brand new Flyers Daily for Draft Day. It is the 7th of July. The NHL entry draft happening tonight in Montreal, back in person for the first time in a number of years. Could that get some more action going on the floor, some more trades face-to-face when you can walk mere feet away to talk to your counterpart, general manager, We'll see how that all plays out coming up tonight. A couple things real quick before we get to our feature interview, which is Brent Flair. He'll join Bill Meltzer and I. A couple things. Number one, if you're on social media today and tonight, make sure the account's verified. (laughs) A lot of guys like to put out fake news and dupe you, and they've gotten me before. They'll probably get me again tonight before I click profile to make sure it's from a legit source. But that's number one. Number two, like I mentioned, it is the draft tonight. Flyers will be selecting fifth overall, at least presumably, uh, before this draft. Uh, There's been a lot of chatter about possibly trading the fifth overall pick. That does not look to be the case right now. Things can change, obviously, very quickly. But the Flyers will select fifth overall, and you can get a good player at five. Now, as always, you got to draft the right guy. Then you got to develop that guy and you got to continue his development through his pro career. As I looked at the NHL.com list of the top 10 players drafted fifth overall, here's the list for you. Ryan Whitney, of course, from Spit and Chicklets now, uh, was drafted by the Penguins fifth overall back in 2002. How about their ninth selection? Elias Lindholm was the fifth overall pick in the 2013 draft. And Lindholm, of course, the center of the best line in hockey this past season with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk. Braden Shen, former Flyer, was drafted by the Kings in 2009 fifth overall. Back in 2017, we know that draft well. Flyers moved all the way up to number two. But with the fifth pick in that draft, it was the Canucks who took Elias Pettersson, one pick after Kale McCarr. Of course, the Flyers drafted Nolan Patrick, and we all know how that worked out. Uh, Number six in their their list uh, at fifth overall, Back in 2005, Carey Price was taken by the Montreal Canadiens, fifth overall. Blake Wheeler in 2004 was taken by the Phoenix Coyotes, fifth overall. Phil Kessel by uh, the Boston Bruins in 2006, fifth overall. Bill Guerin back in 1987 was drafted by the Devils, fifth overall. Scott Steven, Flyers' nemesis in 1982, was drafted by the Caps, fifth overall. And the number one player drafted fifth overall in NHL history. How about Yaramir Yager? Still playing over, I believe, in the Czech Republic, Uh, but hard to believe uh, that all the teams he played for, of course, the Penguins drafted him and won some cups there, spent a year here in Philadelphia, which is now a decade ago. It was the 2000, I believe, 11-12 season or 12-13, one of those, Uh, but about a decade ago, Yarmir Yager spent one season here in Philadelphia. So the fifth overall pick for the Flyers tonight. Before we get to Brent Flair, the schedule also came out yesterday. The Flyers will open their season on Thursday, October 13th. The league will open their season on Tuesday, October 11th. The Flyers, two days later, at home against the New Jersey Devils at Wells Fargo Center. They'll have Vancouver in the second game. I believe they also had Vancouver in the second game this past year. So they'll see the Canucks here early in the season. Maybe that was even the first game. Uh, Then they'll head out for their first road trip to Tampa, Florida, and Nashville. And then they'll round out the month of October with San Jose, Florida, and Carolina all at home. 
Black Friday game is back once again for the Flyers. As a matter of fact, it's the only time we'll see the Pittsburgh Penguins in Philadelphia on Black Friday, November 25th, game at 5 p.m. at Wells Fargo Center. And they'll wrap up the season, final month of the season, uh, games against Buffalo uh, at home, then Pittsburgh and St. Louis and Dallas and the Islanders on the road, then at home against Boston and Columbus, and they'll end the season against Chicago. They have 14 back-to-backs on the schedule this year. Still a good amount of back-to-back games. To me, that plays a factor in what you're going to do with your backup goaltender because you got to get that backup goaltender in. Now it's, you see it as a minimum of 14 times So uh, with all the back-to-backs. So uh, Flyers will wrap up the season on April 13th. They'll start it on October 13th, the 2020-22-23 NHL season. Uh, we'll be commencing not that far off. It's not that far away. But coming up tonight, it's the NHL entry draft in Montreal. And Bill Meltzer joins me here as we have a conversation with Flyers Assistant General Manager Brent Flair. Preparations for the NHL draft still underway. And on this episode of Flyers Daily, joining Bill Meltzer and I is Flyers Assistant General Manager. He is man all things draft. It is Brent Flair. Brent, how you doing? You remaining sane? Yeah. No, we're uh, yeah, it's getting, getting a crunch time here, so it's always exciting. Let me ask you, I want you to take people behind the curtain real quick, just on what it's like for you to to prepare for so long for this. And there's so much that goes into it. What is the preparation like? And what's it like when you get there on the goal line on the day of? Yeah, well, obviously, it's a long season. So our our guys, we scouts all over the world that travel thousands and thousands of miles and, and thousands of game reports. And, you know, it all comes together at the end of the season and we have our meetings uh you know a few weeks back we have the combine uh, everything kind of goes into it now we uh we have a list and now we will have some final tweaks here over the next few days and uh, into next week and then once it's finalized it's ironclad and and we we head to the draft so once we uh yeah once you walk up on stage it's it's always a fun time it's exciting time for our scouts Homer has said that uh, the, the draft is like the Super Bowl for scouts. You prepare all year long, you know, so so much goes into it. And, and scouts get excited when extra picks are acquired and they agonize over any pick that's moved. Or would, would you say that also, you know, categorizes your own experience? Yeah, yeah. No, I've uh, I've worked with Chuck for a long time and he's, he's, he's traded a lot of my, my picks away over the years. But, no, at the same time, everybody's, you know, you're on board for whatever's best for the Flyers, but at the same time, you know, you get picks, you're excited. Uh, last year we didn't have one. This year we we picking five, unfortunately, just because of the way the season went. But at the same time, the, the guys are excited. And, you know, obviously, anytime you get a high pick, you hope to make the most of it. Brent, how much different is it now that you're kind of coming off a relatively in the grand scheme of things, a normal year? We had the big blip that happened right around the new year with COVID and you know, things kind of tamped down again for a bit, but your scouts, your staff were able to get eyes on a lot of guys where in the last couple of years that hasn't been the case. And, you know, you can kind of see the development of a player from the beginning of a season through the end of a season with more consistency and, and more games played. So how's that been different? And I'm sure good to go back to that element of it. Yeah, I know it, it was certainly better this year than last. However, yeah. there's still some challenges. There was locked the shutdowns and, and uh, you know, a lot of canceled games, a lot of, you know, players that you know you would, didn't get to see as much as you you know at a certain stage of the season but overall you know we're happy with their coverage and we're fortunate enough to get 
lots of live viewings, which is the most important things for us. And, you know, we spend a lot of time on video as well. Um, that's one thing, I guess, positive from the pandemic is um, I think scouts learn to like using video more and more uh, as a tool, and uh, which is good good for us. And some of the systems that we, we have access to now are, are great and certainly, uh, certainly helpful for us going forward. So, um, but yeah, no, this year, there's still some issues though. Like, you, you know, we have to take into account that, you know, for instance, the Ontario Hockey League, a lot of those kids didn't play at all last year and even parts of the year before. Um, so they're coming to this season. Essentially, a lot of them are rookies. A lot of them haven't played in, in Ontario. They weren't even able to train at a lot of facilities uh, the year previous. So, you know, we had to give them a little bit of uh, lenience, especially early in the season, to find their game, find their groove, and and get going. So there, there were some challenges that way. Uh, it wasn't even playing field in, in terms of some prospects, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, we we're comfortable with where the players got to, and and uh, we made our evaluations accordingly. Uh, my question for you is actually a two-part question, and you just partially answered some of it. Um, when you're generally ranking prospects you know there are always guys who who rise in the second half of the season uh and a flyers example would be uh travis sandheim in 2014. that was a guy who really took off in the second half of that season and uh you know in, in a lot of projections he jumped up and it's why he interviewed with so many teams at the combine and ultimately went 14th overall whereas you have guys who kind of all along you know were projecting a certain range and they, they kind of go in that range um, in a year like this, it was a guy who rose in the second half, generally speaking, you know, might you give a little more weight to that than you would another year as a guy who was kind of, you know, steady and finished, you know, finished about where you would expect them to maybe with a guy who uh, started a little lower and then jumped in the second half, maybe even to a little higher level than some of those other guys, you know, might, might his final ranking reflect that based on a shorter, you know, shorter sampling. Yeah, no, I think it's a case by case basis, obviously, uh, there's something to say about consistency, a player that comes to play every night and is, you know, what you're going to get from him every night. Uh, that is important. However, you know, a lot of these guys are young guys. Uh, sometimes their roles at the start of a season on their team is, uh, isn't overly significant. Maybe they're a bottom six forward or a bottom pair defenseman and all of a sudden second half, you know, like Sandheim that year, you know, I think he was a healthy scratch for his couple of games a year. All of a sudden he's playing a ton down the stretch and takes off and, um, you know, there's a lot of different those situations that we see throughout the year that, you know, people don't always take into account, especially when media are just evaluating them just based on points. Uh, meanwhile, when they're a fourth-line player playing six minutes a night for the first 20, 30 games of the season, uh, it's pretty hard to evaluate solely on points when you're comparing them to a player that's a top-line player on a, a good program all year. So those are the things that our, our guys do, and, and we have to evaluate. And Again, we're – there's lots of great junior hockey players that are, you know, arguably better way to win a game, junior game tomorrow that they might be better than some of the players. But our job is to get the best player, NHL player down the road in three or four years. And, and that's what we have to focus on. Is that how you um, generally, you know, get to compare things apples to apples? Because if you're comparing a forward and a defenseman, you know, and a little bit, it's a little bit apples to oranges, a guy who's a little more physically developed versus a guy who you have to project a little bit down. So that's how, is that how you kind of level the playing field when you're projecting long-term? Okay. What role do you see him playing? And then you can get a little more even comparison, say of a, you know, a, a top six forward and a top four defenseman, maybe about equal, whereas the role they're playing right now or their physical attributes right now, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit uh, harder to compare. 
yeah, and that's the challenge for us, to be honest with you. There's, um, it's a fine line. You can't punish a player because they're professionals already. They train hard. They eat right. They do all the right things um, versus a kid that hasn't. Um, you know, that says something about the kid also. Sometimes it's just the environment that the player maybe has been in that he just hasn't had access to the right training, uh, nutrition, things like that. So uh, it's a fine line. And obviously there's a big differences in physical maturity, especially when you're dealing with 17-year-olds. Some kids continue to grow and, you know, take three, four years to grow into their body, put weight on, and some kids never can. So uh, you got to be a little careful over projecting, uh, especially in strength and that. Um, still the big, strong guys that are athletes and um, are extremely important and intriguing. And that's why we have our strength guys involved in the combine and, and things of that nature. And, you know, we, we evaluate the talent. They tell us what potentially these guys can de- get to and who's maybe potentially maxed out and isn't going to get any stronger and who's just the tip of the iceberg and has all kinds of potential. So uh, those are all just little things that we kind of take into account. That's fascinating. I love that. Kind of projecting their just physical abilities um, based on where they are and, and where they possibly can go. But let me ask you, because as a guy that's got to keep the task at hand in front of you in full focus, the 2022 draft, which is happening in Montreal versus you know, well, the 2023 draft is great. I, I mean, I'm sure you're probably tired of hearing about the stupid 2023 draft because that's not the one that's happening right now. Yeah. Um, how would you, you know, we hear how great that draft's going to be, but how would you rate this one that's in front of us, the one that you're picking fifth in or slotted to pick fifth in right now? How would you kind of yeah. rate it? Where's the drop-off points? Well, I think it's, you know, I think it's, people say it's average because there's no, you don't have the Connor McDavid in it or Austin Matthews and I think that there's some good players in the draft though. There's I think as the season went on, it showed that there's more depth to the draft than initially thought, which is good. Um, but because there's no maybe you know franchise player at the top or uh, you know there's no Connor McDavid that they, people say it's an average draft and but there are still some quality players. There is some depth in the draft and I think the teams that have done their homework will will come out okay. Uh, in, in terms of talking about the the depth of the draft, um, you know, I, I guess a, a couple of factors that to me kind of stand out as X factors in this draft are guys who maybe didn't play a year ago or are re-entering the draft this year, or or you know, like uh, you're, you're able to get Avon, for example, as, as an undrafted guy, probably would have been drafted a year earlier, except there wasn't a, there wasn't an OHL season. Um, so that you know, and there may be other guys like Avon who maybe didn't didn't play a year. And will end up getting drafted this year in terms of the overall depth. And then there's the X factor of the, the Russian players as to where some of these guys who may have gone earlier will slot. I know you guys don't pick again till 69th, but just in terms of your comfort level, being able to get some quality players depth-wise as you move down the draft, how, how do you think that factors in? Well, yeah, obviously, I think this year more than any, you're going to see some players that maybe skip through the draft. Uh, that'll re-enter and typically not early, but there will be players as, you know, in the mid to later rounds, I think you'll see a number of them. Um, the Russian factor, I think it's, uh, I think it's a team by team thing. Uh, some teams have, you know, strong feelings about it and political issues. And then there's some kids um, that are playing over here and staying over here that have Russian passports. So I think it, it comes to each individual player and, and take the politics aside. That's, a lot of it's a contra- contractual issues. Uh, you know, for instance, Mitchkov for next year is under contract for years and years in France by St. Petersburg. And 
you know, that's that's a more that's a, a real issue uh, for a lot of teams that are if you're picking one or two overall and you're looking at that player considering them, you you know, you're waiting a long time to, to get that talent. But maybe he's worth it, probably is worth it. Uh, but this year, you know, there's there's still a couple of Russians that are first round talents. And um, I think each team will have to evaluate, uh, you know, potentially what's, you know, the value of that player versus what else they can get at their, their particular spot and, and make the decision. But, you know, again, it comes with some backlash or comes with some, there are some political issues that you got to deal with. But at the same time, it's, you know, I don't think deep down it's any of these kids that are making these decisions or involved in the political situation either. So, um, Brent, let me ask you about, you know, going into a draft, and you just mentioned there's no McDavid, there's no Matthews in this draft. There's not that. I think the term gets thrown around way too much. Generational talent sitting mm-hmm. at the top that's just kind of like this huge cherry on top. Maybe there is next year in Bedard, but uh, when you when you have this situation like this year, we've seen some debate in some of the the mocks from Bob McKenzie or Craig Button or whoever about certain guys that is right going to go to one, Slikowski. Uh, do, do you feel like there's a lot of variance here in the top of this draft and maybe the top five? Will that variance lead to five, or is that just kind of in the top three, do you think? Well, it certainly impacts who we get at five. Um, yep. I, I do think there's – yeah, no, I know. I know I talked to a lot of my counterparts, and I know there's – you know, there's a lot of uncertainty at the, at the top of the draft, and you know, part of it. So you can sense that in your conversations with them. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I think, um, you know, part of it's the play of certain individual players, good and bad, and others. You know, it's just there's other guys that are equal and different positions, and some guys have come off the radar. So it's uh, it'd be a really interesting draft at the top here, and how things fall, and you know, some teams what they're looking for, and it could really alter things. So I think. You know, you can might be able to see some trades, you know, from inside the top five, which, you know, rarely happens, like we were talking about earlier. So, uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it falls. We should get a better idea as we get closer, uh, you know, to next week. And, um, you know, we'll have a better indication of probably who's going where and and uh, and who potentially we'll be looking at. When, I, I have an idea already, but you'll get a little more clarity. When Chuck traded back in a draft – and you guys ended up with Cam York. As the draft guy, what does your stomach do when he tells you, I'm going to trade back here? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I did okay. But, no, some years, uh, you know, you're concerned. That was a particular draft. With, that draft was deep enough where yeah. we knew we were getting one of a, a number of quality players. So we were comfortable doing that. That's not always the case, though. Sometimes you move back five or six spots, and and you're, like, you're sweating it. And, Good Lord, what did we just do? But. You know, again, we you know we have layers of players. So if we have you know five or six guys, and you're moving back six or seven spots, and you know there's a good chance that two guys from off our board are going to go in there potentially. But if they don't, then you're you know you're moving back a layer, and you have some you, know, you got to stare down your scouts in the eye. And, uh, but you know at the same time, it's uh, that's kind of the, the puzzle and the fun of the draft. And you know we've looked at over the years, Chuck and I've worked a lot of drafts together, and whether it's moving up or back. You know, it's something that it's calculated. It's not just, you know, we don't just fly out the seat of our pants and decide to trade back, but it's something we plan typically a couple of days in advance. And, uh, you know, if certain players are there, certain teams are willing to trade up or back. And you know, that's just kind of, that's honestly having a draft, being at the draft rather than doing it via, via Zoom uh, is a lot easier to get these potential transactions done. When you're on the draft floor, you can walk around and, 
and have these conversations. It's, it's a lot easier than picking up the phone, at, you know, come draft day and contacting 30 teams. It's, uh, you'll, I think you'll see a lot more action at the draft, which makes it a lot more fun for fans, I assume. How much does, uh, as you get deeper into a draft, does the evaluation timetable you have on a player play? You know, for example, say you get in around five, six, seven, and you have a couple guys on the board, you like them. Um, one of them, you know, one of them is uh, major junior player, so you have the two-year period. Another one might be in the USHL next year, and then college, so you have up to five years to, to evaluate the kid. Does that can that can that ultimately help determine a selection if you have a couple of kids that you like as you as you're getting you know into a draft? Yeah, I think there's in some cases there's also the NCAA rules where these players can walk on you too, so yeah. uh, leaving them for you know if they're going back to play junior again for a year or two and then. You know, those are some issues that but typically, you know, we're, we're the Flyers. We treat people well and uh, typically, are, you, you know, your players are going to want to stay. But um, those are challenges. But, yeah, no, there's certain players. Um, you know, you look at the CHL. It's very heavily scouted. The Ontario Hockey League, there's anywhere from 30 to 50 scouts at a lot of games, especially when there's draft prospects in it. So there's very few secrets in that league. Um, you know, I think by – mid rounds i think there's very in some cases some guys slip through the cracks and are physically undeveloped or miss a lot of time due to injuries there there are you know there are outliers but at the same time it's fairly well picked over uh middle certainly by the middle round so i think a lot of times you look to get value in european players or high school and that being said the ushl used to be that league where you used to be able to get steals now it's i think more and more it's it's so heavily scouted now uh versus 10 years ago that Again, it's especially during COVID because <laughs> that was the one league that never shut down. It just kept going and going. So there's scouts are anxious to get out of the house, and they were there. And it's it's been heavily viewed, uh, obviously, over the last ten years. So there's fewer and fewer secrets. But again, that having those extra years of development, playing college hockey for for some kids to mature physically, not only physically, actually mentally, uh, you know, getting that few years older, and um, you know, it's beneficial for them. Sometimes we we sign a major junior kid, they go in the American league for a couple of years and, you know, they're out, out of the American league by the time some of these kids are turning pro out of college and they, they get that extra advantage. So it's uh you know, it's a, it's a big decision, but they're obviously both quality leagues. And, uh, but we've, we do a lot of spend a lot of time and strategically what we're looking for in the later rounds. And I think that's um, over the years, that's, it's improved. You're not just looking for, best player with the most points in a certain league you're you're looking for players that might lack uh, a couple attributes but are really strong in a couple attributes and you think you can help them with certain areas whether it's skating or strength or or whatnot and but they have the hockey sense they have the character and drive and and things like that or you know whatever the scenario is we we look to try to find a couple strong traits and and try to hit on that right, last one for me let bill close it out um let me ask you about you know drafting and this process along with you know roster development because we see in the nhl the teams that have success get emulated the both the way they play the way they construct their roster you know we've seen the tampa bay lightning win back-to-back cups and get the thrones in a third straight cup appearance by colorado uh, how much of that is a factor in kind of how you weigh certain players and how they'll fit in the nhl how much of that is long-term projection for roster construction on what's having success in the league right now? 
Oh, it's for sure. It's a copycat league. At the same time, I think, uh, you know, you look at even the two teams that were in the finals are, are different. Uh, they both have elite talent, though. They both have a number of players that were high picks and high-end talent. And, you know, Tampa has Vasilevsky when things break down, and uh, which, which is obviously hard to find. And then, you know, Colorado has a McCarr. And, you know, you look at their top six forwards, they're, they're elite. Um, and the way that that whole group came together, it's it's uh, it's an impressive group. But Tampa's built a little differently, obviously. With point out really hurt them, I thought. And Sorelli was banged up, and they had a bunch of injuries. But, you know, they have the bigger back end. They have three high-end left shot defensemen and, and three bigger bodies on the right side to, you know, kind of defend. But, um, you know, it just it works for them. Obviously, there's different styles. It doesn't mean a smaller, highly skilled defenseman can't play in Tampa Bay. That's just what they have. And it certainly has worked for them, especially with the goaltending they have. So I think it's, uh, you know, there's a couple of different roadmaps that we look to take. But at the same time, you need you need competitive people. Um, you do need some bigger bodies, but you need the skill and uh, more importantly, the determination to, to get through that grind, um, to buy in. You look at the, some of the players that maybe a few years ago wouldn't be getting in front of a, a point shot or or battling as hard down low or to get to the front of the net and, and taking the abuse that you have to. But in order to win in the Stanley Cup, especially over that uh, that grind, it's uh, it takes a lot to win. And I was fortunate enough to win one cup and I sure hope I can do it again. Uh, my la- my last question is, I mean, you mentioned Vasilevsky, and that's a case of a guy who was projected as a first-round pick, went in the first round. He's been everything that he was projected to be. But historically, you know, you, you might find a, a top-end goalie pretty much anywhere in a draft. And this year particularly, there's no goalies that are projected to go, you know, first round this year. Um, do you see Do you see this as a year where there might be some – you know, some guys who kind of lay in the woods goaltending wise and might be available in you know middle rounds or something who might end up helping an NHL team down the line. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, you've seen the lists I have. Um, I've seen these guys and I don't think there's any, you know, elite talent. There's no Vasilevsky's that I've seen. So it doesn't mean that like five years down the road, some of these kids that are playing at lower levels don't develop and no one thought Shesterkin. Obviously, Shesterkin was part of the. Uh, you know, a lot of teams didn't get to see him enough. Obviously, but you know, there's other Hellebucks and who played in North American League, and you know, some goalies one position that's not a perfect science, and you try to do your backgrounds. You have your goalies, uh, coaches, and staff. They, they evaluate these guys live via video, and but there's a whole different development path for these guys, and, and it, it takes a while. So. There's been goalies over the years I thought were slam dunks, can't miss, and never played, and other guys that, um, you know, that you would never have guessed to be uh, starters in the NHL that have panned out. So, um, you know, I, I can't say that I believe I'm a goalie expert. I think I have an idea of some traits that need to be, but we have some guys that, that do a good job evaluating goaltending. And, uh, you know, this yes. year is just one of those years, I think. And it's like the voodoo science of sport. It. Yeah. <laughs> It is one of those really difficult things to project. Uh, Brent, best of luck in the 2022 NHL entry draft. Do you guys have like hand gestures that you do on the floor when you're back in person? Like you got a guy that you're working something, you kind of go like you flash them like uh, two fingers if uh, you want to move up here. If you're happy with it, you got got that kind of thing going on, little looks and stuff. No, we don't. But you'll see lots of guys come down to the end of the table with with opinions or move up, trade down. So, but. (laughs) Sometimes it's not as easy, but no, it's uh, again, it's a fun process and 
we'll, we'll get her pretty mapped out before we, we start. The two well, hours imagine. before the draft, we'll have lots of conversations uh, yeah. on the on the draft floor with teams and see what they're looking to do. And and obviously a lot of a lot of teams are fishing to see what they can do right now. And then as you get closer, you, you find out what real offers are out there. And if there's something great, if not, then you know we're in good shape. So, well, we'll see how many steps you get in uh, on the floor of the Bell Center. Uh, thanks for doing this, Brent. We really appreciate it. Best of luck in the draft, and uh, we'll be following along, and we appreciate the time as always. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Brent Flair for taking the time to join us on this episode of Flyers Daily, and we'll see what happens come tonight. The first round of the NHL entry draft is tonight in Montreal, then rounds two through seven coming up tomorrow. We'll see where it all goes. We'll break it all down. We'll have some pertinent interviews in tomorrow's episode as well. But everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy the draft tonight, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand new Flyers Daily. Sarah was completely wasting out of working.